and welcome to Pep Talk, the persuasive evangelism podcast. My name is Christy and I'm joined um, as ever um, by my dear friend Andy Bannister. Hello Andy, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Christy, I'm doing well. Well, I'm yeah, doing relatively well. I turned, I turned 50 last week, so I'm, I've slow, I'm slowing down and, you know, life is... Life is tougher than it was. But apart from that, no, I'm great, actually. So uh, He says from this amazing, like, hut in the back of his garden. It's incredible, isn't it, Andy? Yes, it's, um, it, this is a little wooden hut that the family have managed to be too, so I make less noise when podcasts recording. So, Christy, <laughs> who is our guest today? Who, who have we got in the hot seat? Well, today we are joined by Tim Booker. Tim, it's so great that, that to have you with us today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. My privilege to be with you. And um, Tim, if I've got this right, you are a Billy Graham um, Professor of Evangelism and Associate Dean at uh, South Baptist um, Southern Baptist Theological um, Seminary. That's correct, in Louisville, Kentucky. In Louisville, Kentucky. Wow. So for those of us who don't know then, uh, Tim, what what does an Associate Dean do precisely? (laughs) Andy, an Associate Dean has a very simple job description. He gets to do whatever the Dean doesn't want to be associated with. Oh, I love it. So the dean gets to go out and play golf, and uh, you're the man who carries the can. You do all the work, like an associate pastor. <laughs> um, what, what kind of stuff do you actually get up to um, every day, um, Tim? What, what, what things are you teaching at the moment? What, what, what are some of the themes that come up for you in evangelism? Well, I, I do teach a course here, Personal Evangelism, which is a required class for all of our students and all of our degree programs at the master's level. Uh, our president, Dr. Al Mohler, uh, says when he hands a student a diploma, he has to know that that student not only knows how to share the gospel, but has done it multiple times. We send them out with our stamp of approval on them. So within the personal evangelism course, students are required to have multiple gospel conversations, and then they report on those. I love the fact that you're actually as you say, getting them out the, the door rather than just kind of sitting in a, mm-hmm. sitting in a classroom. Because I think there, there really is something about evangelism that, that can only be learned through doing it, right? It's, um, I mean, the theory is helpful and, you know, learning a bit is helpful, but at the end of the day, you've actually got to get out there and be talking to people, right? Uh, absolutely. And I always start the class by asking my students how many of them know how to swim. And typically it's above 90%, still a handful who don't. I say, those of you that learned how to swim, how many of you learned through a correspondence class? I've been asking that question for over 40 years, and the answer is still zero. Only way to learn how to swim is to get in the pool. Only way to learn how to witness is to get out and do it. You can learn a lot of the basics in a classroom, but you actually have to get out and share your faith to learn how to do it. Um, This sounds, this is such such an important area, isn't it? Because even as we kind of go out and, and share our faith, there are so many things that kind of come up as potential hurdles or barriers um, to how we, we best do that. And I think I'm right in saying that you may have mentioned before, possibly, that one of the chapters in your book is on overcoming barriers to, to witnessing. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Like, what are some of the big kind of things that stop us and how might we move through them? Yeah, uh, this was actually the result of a survey survey that was done at a Billy Graham School of Evangelism, asking people there, what's your greatest hindrance in witnessing? Uh, The first thing was fear. Over 50% of the people said fear 
uh, is what kept them from witnessing. Others said it was uh, not knowing how to share. In other words, uh, a lack of knowledge. Others said it was busyness or apathy, or some said it was introspection, you know, that that they needed to get their own life in order uh, first. So what I seek to do in that chapter is address those five plus a six that I found uh, increasingly, at least here in America, is people saying, I don't have the gift of evangelism, therefore I don't have to witness. Yeah, that last one, Tim, is fascinating. Tease that out for us because I've run into that. I've run into that too, that I think, you know, sometimes sometimes I think people are using it, you know, quite almost quite deliberately as a sort of smokescreen. Sometimes I think people genuinely but but believe it. Uh, you know, I remember somebody sort of the other the other month saying to me, Well, God's given me the gift of hospitality and that right. I, but but I don't have the gift of evangelism, which I found bizarre because actually those two things actually cohere for me. But Dig that a bit deeper for us. How, how do you help people think through? Because clearly there is a gift of evangelism. Um, clearly some people are very gifted. You know, I've got you know a friend who seems to just have to sneeze and people become Christians. But that doesn't get us all off the hook, does it, surely? No, no, it doesn't. I make parallels between that and the gift of giving and the gift of serving. We know there is a gift of giving. Uh, most of us don't have that, but that does not exclude us from practicing Christian stewardship. We know there's a gift of serving. The Bible's clear about that. But those of us who don't have the gift of serving, that doesn't mean we can sit on the sidelines and just let those who do have that gift serve. We're all called to serve. And I believe in the same way, we're all called to share our faith. Some may be more gifted and natural at it than others, but that doesn't exclude or excuse the rest of us. What do you think are some... What, what ways do you encourage those students to actually then go about sharing their faith? What have you found um, are good kind of entry points or ways to start those conversations? Yeah, uh, I use a, a process that I call bridges to the gospel. How do you bridge from normal everyday conversation to talking about spiritual things? Uh, for example, most people have no trouble talking about the weather. Uh, I I say to my students, we shouldn't be so critical of the weather. If it weren't for the weather, nine out of 10 of us could never start a conversation. (laughs) So how how do we go from talking about the weather to spiritual things or sports uh, to spiritual things? A simple three-step process that I encourage is explore, stimulate, and then share. Explore, stimulate, share. So how do we explore two ways? First, we simply observe. We, we see what we can see about that person, or if we're in someone's home, what books do they have on the bookshelf, what pictures they have on the wall, maybe what they're wearing on their T-shirt, maybe their tattoos. So we, we just observe and try and learn what we can about the person. Then we ask questions. Uh, I think it, one of the, the keys in evangelism is asking good questions and then listening. If we will learn to do that, people will tell us a lot about themselves. So I tell my students, evangelism is as much about learning to listen as it is about learning to talk. Yeah, I think there's some, there's some real wisdom in there, Tim. I mean, I teach uh, I teach a semester-long course on evangelism for uh, Wycliffe College at University of Toronto. And one of the exercises we, we've done there with the students that's fascinating is we get them to go out 
and uh, and interview somebody of a different faith or no faith. <laughs> and their task is to interview them for 25 minutes, half an hour about what they believe or don't believe, uh, to ask lots of questions and then to write it up. And then to pass that part of the course, the person they've interviewed has to be willing has to read it and go, you've got me, you've captured well what I said and what I thought and what I believed. Because that listening exercise, because so often as evangelicals, I think we like to move straight to the proposition phase, don't we? Because we believe in truth. We're passionate sure. about truth. But sometimes if we just slow down a few steps, maybe we create more of a, a receptivity for that truth. Absolutely. And specifically when talking to an adherent of, of another religion, here's what I encourage my students to do. It's what I call the equal time approach. Hmm. I say, talk to this person and ask them, how do you believe that we can have our sins forgiven, that we can be made right with God? I will listen to your answer. I will not attack it. I will not criticize it. I'll only ask a question if there's something I don't understand. And then I'd like the privilege of sharing with you why I believe Jesus is the way to salvation. I found that equal time approach. I always let them go first. That way it helps me to understand what they really believe, because as we know, uh, you have uh, some Muslims who can really articulate Muslim theology well. Others, uh, they couldn't even fill a thimble with what they understand theologically about their own uh, belief system. And hmm. um, what, what um, else are we engaging in these conversations? Um, have you noticed kind of any um, Christian trends like in response to the culture that um, continue to prevent us from, from sharing our faith? There, is there anything else that you've, you've noticed that as, particularly you know, as we look at culture and it's changing, <laughs> it feels like it's changing um, quite dramatically in particular ways. You know, the, the temptation is to think that, oh, I've just been left behind. Um, I'm not sure um, how best to speak into this. Are there any trends that you've seen um, in Christians as they look out on culture and think, how do I communicate um, in the midst yeah, of this? Let, let me try and, and answer that with a sporting analogy. Uh, I grew up playing sports and we loved home games. It's what we call a home field advantage. When you're playing on your home field, You've got fans cheering you on. Whenever there's a judgment call, a close call, the officials tend to give it to the home team. Here in the States, we call that home cooking. And for the first 200 years here in America, Christians had a home field advantage. The culture was at worst neutral. At best, they, they were cheering the church on. They thought this the church was helpful and a good thing. That has all changed now. Now Christians are viewed as the problem not the solution. Uh, we've lost that home field advantage. So what I say to our students is every game we play now is an away game. We're in front of a hostile crowd, people hoping we fail, not that we succeed. But back to the sports analogy, when you played away games, you just had to put on your game face. You had to realize, yes, it is going to be more challenging, but we're still called to do this. We, we've got to go out and give it our best. Mm. I think one of the one of the other questions, I guess, um, Tim, that, that flows from that, as you say, the culture's changed. I sometimes encounter Christians, far too often, actually, sadly, encounter Christians who I think have seen that cultural change. And it's almost led to panic, right? Because 
you know, as you as you nicely put it, we had we had home field advantage. We, you know, it was it was comfortable. There was a time in the USA and 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 Great Britain too. It was actually really easy. I remember growing up in the in the late seventies, early eighties. It wasn't difficult to be a Christian. It's much harder, and thus you can now look out. And if you're not careful, you can start thinking the whole thing's you know, there's just this despair, right? The culture has changed, the moral values have changed, the church's influence has changed. People aren't interested. You know, they're hostile, they're apathetic. And so this sort of real sort of fear, almost panic in the face of culture sets in. Um, you know, you're nodding, which suggests to me you've seen this phenomenon too. How do we help people not end up in that mindset? Because terror is not a good place to do evangelism. No, no it is not. So how do we help people feel a bit more joy and positivity and excitement? Because I think there's lots to be excited about, actually. Well, and, and there's a term that, that I absolutely despise, and it is the term post-Christian. P- people use it all the time, but that term is a term of defeat. You know, we're post-Christian. Christianity had, has had its day, but it's now over. Game over. Take your take your ball and go home. I absolutely despise the term post Christian. Uh, we're we're not post Christian. There may be a lull. There may be a, a trough in the wave. But I've read the final chapter. We we do come out on the winning side. There will be people from every tongue and tribe and nation. So the the whole mentality of just realizing that yes, circumstances has changed, but the gospel has not changed. Gospel is still the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Our task has not changed at all. In fact, I really believe we're in a situation now in most of Western culture that the early church faced. Mm. They, They were in the minority. They were hated by the culture. They were seen as the problem, not as the solution. We're we're really sort of back to the future of experiencing what the first Christians experienced. You you also mentioned um, earlier on in the the different things that you identified as um, barriers to to witnessing was the the lack of knowledge. Um, what are some do you think like, essential ingredients that that someone you know, can go out there with to kind of talk about um, talk about Jesus. So once they've explored things and they've stimulated the conversation a bit, um, and they're they're still sensing this fear, you know, in this kind of cultural climate, what's it look like to to share um, Jesus in that? Yeah, I, I think when someone says, you know, I don't know how to witness, I always uh, follow that up with a question. So if a neighbor came over pounded on your door and said, the doctor said, I have an hour to live. They just got my blood work back. Don't worry, I'm not contagious, but I'm going to be dead within the hour. I know you're a Christian. Can you help me know how I can have my sins forgiven? Could you answer that person? And and this Christian goes, well, well of course I could. You know, I, I know the gospel. I could share it. When they say, I don't know how to witness, they're saying, I don't know how to get started. So I think the best way to get started, back to the explore, stimulate, share, explore, ask questions, listen. Typically, as you're asking good pointed questions, uh, what's your philosophy of life? What are you living for? Uh, In your personal opinion, what makes a true Christian? 
just some general questions like that. I have a, a list of 15 of them in the book that, that I found to be very helpful. M- many of those will open a door for further conversation. So here's my basic uh, thesis. If you know enough of the gospel to be saved yourself, you know enough of the gospel to be able to share it with someone else. Hmm. I I like that, Tim. And, you know, that, that taps into something I was meaning to ask you about earlier, but the conversation went like different routes. That I wonder if the other issue, too, sometimes in the contemporary church, we, we separate that process of somebody becoming a, that moment of someone becoming a Christian from then empowering and encouraging them to share their their faith whereas is there something about look if someone gives their life to jesus today the more you can encourage them as soon as possible to be telling others um, because otherwise i think that i think the longer it goes by first you become a bit institutionalized the longer you're on the church but also when someone's just encountered jesus and they're so excited i've seen this in people before when they're just that that wonder of that first encounter with christ that's when you want them to be immediately impacting friends and family. I always say like a good opportunity when you get baptized, you know, say to people, invite your non-Christian friends. Um, But sometimes in the church, we've almost sort of fallen into this sort of mistake of thinking, no, 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 they need to be a Christian two, three, four, five years before they're they're ready to go. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, And I think that mentality is really hindering a lot of our witness. I believe potentially the most effective evangelistic time in a person's life is their first two years as a believer. Interesting. Uh, if particularly like when, when I came to faith in Christ, I knew one Christian. All of my friends were unbelievers. But two years later, I pretty much replaced that circle of non-Christian friends with Christian friends. And if I had not started sharing my faith immediately, I would have never shared with many of my non-Christian friends. I was very fortunate. The very first Christian book I read was a book on evangelism. I tell people I started sharing my faith before I discovered Christians didn't do that sort of thing. <laughs> Nicely put. So so by all means, encouraging new believers. And the analogy that I use is the man born blind in John mm. chapter 9. Remember, mm. he's brought in with an inquisition from the Pharisees. How, how could this man have healed you? We know he's a sinner. And this man basically says, listen, I I don't know any theology. I I haven't been to seminary, but I do know this much. I used to be blind and now I can see. And that's what I say to people. You you don't need to worry that you can't answer all of these apologetic questions. Uh, Just simply share what you do know. You can learn and grow in that. But I, I think many times the best witness is the brand new Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they're they're so filled now, they they know their sins have been forgiven. They just want everyone to know. Dr. Howard Hendricks, a longtime professor here in America, once stated that the worst thing that can happen to a new Christian is to meet an old Christian, uh, because the old Christian pours water on them. Don't don't talk about Jesus like that. You're embarrassing us. Uh, Many times older believers pour cold water on the zeal of new converts, which is, is such a shame. It should, should be the exact opposite. The longer we know Christ, the more excited we ought to be mm. to talk about him with others. Mm. Nicely. Nicely said. And a great point to sort of wrap things up. We're about rapidly approaching the, uh, the 20 minute mark. Tim, really grateful you've shared so much kind of practical kind of wisdom yeah. and insight 
I like the fact not just from teaching evangelism, just from years of doing evangelism. Look, one last question. Um, you've mentioned the book uh, from which a lot of this is, is drawn. What is that? What should people who've, who've, been, who've had their appetite whetted by some of the things you said, what should they go read? And we'll put a link to it in the show notes. The, the book is uh, titled Invitation to Evangelism. Uh, the subtitle is Sharing the Gospel with Compassion and Conviction. I believe both of those elements mm. are absolutely crucial. Fantastic. It's published by Kriegel uh, here in Grand Rapids, uh, Michigan, uh, but it's available uh, via Amazon and through actually 10 of those. Brilliant. Uh, uh, 10 of those, uh, Jonathan Carswell graciously carries that in his stock. And so 10 of those UK uh, has that book as one of their featured books. Well, we'll put a link to that. We're good. We're big fans of 10 of those. I know Jonathan and, of course, his his dad, Roger, is a yes. really well-known you know, evangelist here and, in the and UK. And Roger been... very graciously uh, wrote uh, an endorsement for my book. Wonderful. Well, Tim, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining Christy and I on, a, on Pep Talk. And, uh, and for all of you listening at home or on the car or you're on your run or in the bath, wherever you imbibe your podcasts, hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And uh, Christy and I will be back in two weeks' time with another guest and another topic. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye.